Hello once again and thank you for joining me for this, the first Salvation Meeting of a brand new year. 2021 has already begun and I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy and safe year ahead. In the last 12 months, the world we've known all our lives changed so much and so quickly that sometimes it's hard to keep track of anything, even the days of the week at times. But it really has been a wonderful blessing and challenge for me to have been able to share this new ministry opportunity with you. And this is the 33rd meeting that we've been able to share together, which in itself seems hardly possible. Today is the 3rd of January. If we were following the popular Christmas song, it would be the 10th day of Christmas. I think that's the one with Lords a-leaping, isn't it? For some of you, Christmas may already seem a distant memory, but I always like to make the most of such a special time of year. I'm not one of those who takes the decorations down straight after Boxing Day. And one of my friends this week agreed with me, saying that he likes to linger a little longer at the manger. And I know exactly what he means.
My thanks to the Pasadena Tabernacle Band there for that fanfare to worship. And tonight we're going to join those wise men in our worship and adoration of the child Jesus. Most people seem to think that they arrived at least a few days later than the shepherds and angels. And Epiphany is a special yet often overlooked part of the Christmas season. So let's start tonight then with song number 52. O oh, worship the King, all glorious above. O oh, gratefully sing his power and his love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendour and girded with praise. We're going to use that great tune, Laudate Dominum, and join with the master's singers as we sing this great song together. us to focus our thoughts tonight very much on that word worship. It's so much more than just another word for love. Maybe more like love, adoration and praise all rolled into one, but even that's not enough. 
So let's focus our thoughts on our Lord and Saviour right now as we use Tim Hughes's beautiful song, Here I Am to Worship. It's number 114 in our songbook, and we're going to sing together with Stuart Pendred and the Regent Hall Band this evening before we pray. Here I am to worship. to earth for me but in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity heaven's arches rang when the angels sang proclaiming thy royal degree but of lowly birth camest thou Lord on earth and in great humility thou camest Lord with the living word that should set thy people free but with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn they bore thee to Calvary. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. When heaven's arches ring and her choir shall sing at thy coming to victory, let thy voice call me home, saying, Yet there is room. There is room at my side for thee. And my heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. And tonight, Lord, we do adore you. We do worship you with all our hearts and all we have. There may have been no room for you in that inn so long ago in Bethlehem, but, Lord, we offer you a home in each of our hearts tonight. And we ask you to come in, to enter, enter right into our hearts, Lord. Enter now. So many things in this life, Lord, are worshipped. Musicians, film stars, celebrities, sportsmen and women, football teams, wealth and possessions. All of these sometimes find themselves placed directly between us and you. And we ask you, Lord, to give us a sense of perspective in our lives. 
to know what is indeed worthy of our worship. For only you are altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to each and every one of us. Help us to live for you and through us for others to come into the wonderful knowledge of your saving grace. Let us bow like those wise men of old and recognise you for what you are. A king? Oh yes, a king. But so much more than that. God incarnate and Lord of all. Let's sing together again now another song about bowing down in worship to our Lord and Saviour. It's number 343 in our songbook. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And it's, as always, sung to the wonderful 18th century melody of Vaslebit. greater words could we ever use to address our Lord than, I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. Here on Epiphany Sunday 2021, let that be our sincere message to the Lord we adore. And we're going to hear that lovely song 
sung now by the East London Divisional Youth Chorus. Our Bible reading this evening is the same as one of those I used a couple of weeks ago in our Fortress Radio Carol service. And once again, I'm going to use that same recording from the CD that I made with the Salvationists of Norwich. It's taken, of course, from Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod heard these things, he was troubled. He gathered all the chief priests and scribes together, and demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem, for thus it was written by the prophet. Herod then called the wise men, and asked of them, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. They departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they came to the inn, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, 
they departed into their own country another way. There are so many beautiful songs in our Salvation Army library. Many of them are quite forgotten today, it would seem. And one of them I found tucked away in an issue of the musical Salvationist from 1976. It was written by Keith Griffin. So wonderfully fitting for our meeting this evening. So let's listen now to the Ilford Songsters and that song, Worship and Adore. Now, before we look a little bit more at that part of the Christmas story, we just have to share that lovely carol together. It's number 129 in our songbook, We Three Kings. And many of you listening will remember the Salvation Army's pop group, the Joystrings, back in the 1960s. Well, their version of this famous carol is a little different from the one that we're used to. So that might make it a little bit difficult to sing along. But I love this setting and the way that the eastern instruments they use and the more modal treatment of the melody creates a great atmosphere. So let's listen to the joystrings now with We Three Kings. Thy perfect night 
incense I bring Gold to honor a king Myrrh is mine for the saddest time All to give to him Oh, star of wonder, star of night Star with royal beauty bright Westward leading, still proceeding Guide us to thy perfect light We three kings of all a lot of talk this year about the wise men, the magi, the astrologers, call them what you will, and for very good reason. Lots of us watched with interest this Christmas as Jupiter and Saturn got closer and closer together, from our perspective here on Earth at least, in the night sky. And I've seen some wonderful pictures from December the 21st when they just seemed to combine and form what many people, even unbelievers, called the Star of Bethlehem. Now, I'm one of those people who has no time at all for astrology. Even when I was quite young, I used to just tut and pass over the little daily article in my dad's newspaper that seemed to want to tell me that every single person in the world that was born in a particular 28-day period was going to be unlucky on Thursday. Oh, but then they'd find a new love on Friday. What utter nonsense. And I've almost despaired as an adult at times when I read a musician who I greatly respect for his talent and songwriting but just spouts ever more complex babble about planets and birth signs and thinking he's found the answer to all life's problems with a few charts and maps of the stars and planets. Of course... Astrology is a very ancient thing, and I find it not just interesting, but quite important that God chose these men, not real kings or important people, not even proper scientists or astronomers. We might even treat them like the modern equivalents, Mystic Meg or Russell Grant. These were men who may even have been laughed at for their loony views. But they were used by God in his infinite wisdom to teach us all a great, great lesson. To paraphrase other scholars here, Matthew has told us that an unnumbered group of Gentile astrologers heeded a divinely given sign, the star, understanding it to call them to worship the newborn Christ, the Son of God. So much so that they obeyed that call. They found the divine child and offered him the kind of worship which is due to God. Thus providing us with a model of faith in the divine nature of Jesus. Yet who were these men who play such an important role in our Christmas story? They appear in our nativity plays each year. They have whole carols written about them. Carols that are played and sung right the way around the world. Well, the simple answer is that we have absolutely no idea who they were. We don't even know how many of them there were. Tradition would have us believe that there were three. But that's a question that's vexed me for over 40 years, ever since I got a detention at school for arguing with the RE teacher who was trying to tell my class not just that the Bible told us that there were three, but that they were actually called Caspar, Melchior and Balthazar. Well, I wasn't going to have that, even if I was only 11 at the time. 
I had a similar discussion with a former Salvation Army officer who was working as an RE teacher in the same school as me a few years later. As we sat at the staff Christmas dinner table, she was insistent that there were three such named Magi, and she even went to fetch the Bible from her bag to prove it to me. She was gone a long time before returning to the table, looking just a little embarrassed. My dad used to frequently refer to a legend that he'd read about the fourth wise man. If I remember correctly, something had happened to him on his journey, and he became separated from the others. Later, using his gift, the legend had it that this gift was a pearl to help the poor. And that fourth man only got to meet Jesus many, many years later, as Jesus neared the end of his earthly ministry and was on the way to Calvary. A lovely story, but surely no more than that. And the pearl? Well, that would indeed have made a most fitting fourth gift for Jesus in that Bethlehem stable. Have you ever noticed that the gifts that these men gave were just about the most totally appropriate gifts that they could ever have given? Gold. Well, that's the obvious one. It signified kingship. Jesus was, after all, the ultimate in royalty. I must say to you at this point that I was once again immensely impressed by the Christmas Day speech of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II on Christmas Day this year. Once more, the head of the established church in the Commonwealth dared to speak words that many of our appointed clerics don't or won't speak. In fact, I joined a discussion on Facebook a few days later that affirmed my view that she had indeed given the best Christmas sermon of the season that any of us had heard anyway, no offence at all intended to the others. She brought Jesus right into our homes on Christmas Day and she also took him into the homes of countless others on a Christmas Day where, apart from that, he had found no room at the inn once more. And I thought how great it was that even the Queen bowed in the presence of the King of Kings. If ever you feel down or unimportant, always remember you are a child of God. The child of a king, we used to sing. Well, that makes you just plain, ordinary you, a prince or princess in his eyes, his value and his esteem. How utterly wonderful. So don't be discouraged. This early act of worship in Jesus' life became very much the contrast to the rest of his 33 years. What does that old song say? My father's own son, the saviour of men, once wandered on earth as the poorest of them. But now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. I'm the child of a king. I'm the child of a king. With Jesus, my saviour, I'm the child of a king. What reassurance those old words give to us at the end of a year like no other than any of us have ever endured before. We might think back to a year ago. We had all the usual celebrations associated with the end of 2019, exactly as they'd always been. We had social gatherings and parties. We had church services. We had sporting events and concerts that all went ahead just as they always had done. And not one of us, let's be honest, even questioned that so soon all that would change. We may have heard a few rumours or snippets of stories about a new illness they'd found in China. But who could have ever imagined the way that small story completely changed the whole world within just a few months? 
But for now, let's just go back to those presents for a moment. I wonder what form the gold of the Magi took. I've always tended to think of a gold bar or some great ornament. But, you know, I think it was much more likely to have been gold in the form of money. For all the gifts Matthew lists as having been laid at the infant Jesus' feet were not gifts of just beauty or expense, but each of them had an urgent practical association with our Lord's life. That money may well have been the lifeline that Mary and Joseph needed to get their precious child to safety in Egypt so soon afterwards. As a consequence, of course, of Joseph's dream following the Magi's visit to Herod. What about the frankincense? <laughs> well, maybe they could have made use of that in the stable. But much more importantly, incense was inextricably linked to the worship of God. And it had been since the earliest days of Moses. In fact, God commanded his people to offer incense in worship. In Exodus chapter 30, we read that God told Moses quite specifically to build an altar of acacia wood, specially for the burning of incense. Oh, frankincense was no accidental gift. Not an equivalent of today's bottle of perfume or aftershave. This was a gift that was not just worthy of a king, but worthy of God. Those magi knew who they were worshipping all right. But the most mysterious of the gifts has to be myrrh. What was that about? What even is myrrh? Myrrh, I read, has much in common with frankincense. It's a gum or a resin obtained from various small thorny trees that was widely used as a perfume, Again, it was often used in Hebrew worship. It was even used as an ingredient in the anointing oil used for the ordination of kings and Hebrew priests and high priests. So does anyone really think these gifts were just random? These magi were not even Jews. They were Gentiles, not from Israel and Judah, but probably much further afield. We don't know where. Persia? Ethiopia? We just don't know. But what we do know now is that myrrh was also used in the embalming of Egyptian mummies. When the tombs of the great Egyptian kings were found in much more recent times, it was discovered that they had been embalmed in myrrh, making use of its antiseptic and antibacterial qualities. Once again, that present was associated with kingship. And I wonder if Mary kept the myrrh all those years, waiting for it to find the same practical use as the gold and frankincense. I wonder even, did she take out that precious gift 33 years later and take the pot of myrrh with her when she left to join with the other ladies on that Sunday morning at the tomb that had been so kindly donated by Joseph of Arimathea? Was the myrrh finally to meet the need for which it had been given all those years before? Make no mistake about it, the Magi knew exactly who they were worshipping that night and they knew the importance of what they were doing. To them, who else but a god, a great king in the context of the whole universe, would have been worthy of such a display in the stars? No one else. And that's why their visit was so important to them. This was someone they just had to worship. We don't know what religions they may have followed individually, but this sign, this child, this king, this God, superseded them all and became, for then and forever, the only true object of all their worship.
just as he is ours today. I don't think the Magi left Jesus in the manger. I think that, just like that fabled fourth wise man, they followed him all the way to Calvary. We still live today in a world where most children do learn the story of the baby Jesus. They do hear about the stable, the shepherds, the angels and the three kings. It's not only part of our culture and heritage, but a very sweet little story that goes with this time of year. But tragically, it often goes no further than that. Millions and millions of those children grow up and just leave Jesus in the manger. Well, the rest of his story is not quite so sweet and cuddly after all. And, you know, I read today that in the United Kingdom, only a quarter of people are prepared to admit that they believe in a God. That even half the men and women who nominally call themselves Christians don't actually believe in God at all. Over 40% of the whole population now class themselves as atheists, having no belief in a God of any kind at all. What a situation we as a church find ourselves in then. Where do we go from here? What do we do? I think what we need to do is to join the Magi in kneeling at Jesus' feet. To worship him like we've never done before. To pray like we've never prayed before and to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit as to what we can do. For it is we, you and me, if we don't, who on earth will? All this if we're just even to begin to put things right. So bow the knee, worship, adore by all means, but don't leave Jesus in the manger. Jesus needs you and me in this world of darkness. You in your small corner and I in mine, yes, we must shine. You bring the one next to you, we used to sing. Simple, yet always the best way to share the good news of the gospel. Reading those statistics and thinking about it, it seems to me that many Christians are in exile like some dissidents of a kind, happy to call themselves perhaps by a vague name, but absolutely removed from the reality of being a Christian in 2021. The Bible tells us very clearly that being a Christian in these days is going to be tough, that it would be easier not to be a Christian than to be one. Well, where have you drawn the line? Do you say, well, it's okay for me personally, but I'm going to keep quiet about it. I don't want people criticising me or calling me a religious nutter. Or are you just hoping that all this will go away? People are nice, really. They just need to see that greed and selfishness is not the right way to go. Or are you, with me, praying for the active Christians in this world to make that change? Wherever you are right now, please look inside. Instead of asking, what has this got to do with me? Ask, what can I be doing to make the situation better? If you've been in a sort of exile from Jesus, from God in recent days, then it's time to end that estrangement tonight. Do you not feel as close to him as you once did? Well, just remember, you are the child of the king. And one day we will meet him face to face. End your exile now in prayer as we listen to this wonderful piece of music by Eric Ball. Songs in Exile.
Lord, accept our hearts as your home. Accept our gifts of worship and adoration as we stand in awe of your wonder. Bless us all and help us to tell other people about your saving power and all that you have done for us. For this world needs you, needs you so much. And we pray that you will come into our world in a very special way again, beginning in 2021. But first of all, beginning in me. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our little time at the manger this evening. I truly do pray that God will be with us throughout 2021. And remember, praise him, worship him, adore him, because we can never repay the debt of love we owe for all that he has done for us. There's a good old Salvation Army song tucked away still in our songbook, with which we're going to end our meeting this evening. Song number 640 was written by Charles Collar. Now, that's not a name that's amongst the best known in army music, but I tell you, he wrote the words to over 200 songs that were published in the musical Salvationist. And he still has seven or eight songs in our current songbook. So perhaps we should know him a little better. He was the son of a cobbler, a lifelong Salvationist, a founder member of the Household Troops Band. He later played trombone in the International Staff Band and was an active Salvation Army officer for 30 years. Look out for the name next time you read your songbook. Charles Collar. This song is one that I've looked at many times, but sung quite rarely. I noticed this week, though, that rather than the slower tunes with which it's generally associated, you can also sing it to the tune of the song that has a similar name. So we're going to sing To God Be The Glory, A Saviour Is Mine to the tune of the much better known To God Be The Glory, Great Things He Hath Done. And we'll add the chorus of the latter. Praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Thanks to all once again who've taken part this evening. It's been a truly blessed time for me and I hope for you. Good night and God bless you all.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Praise the Lord of the Spirit.